What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Sneaker Enthusiast Podcast. My name is Brian, and I'm here with my brother Nacho. I know we didn't upload uh, last week, but we've got a a, a very, very special guest this week. Like super, maybe the GOAT. I mean, Nacho, you want to tell him who it is? It's the most, how would you say? If, uh, if there was sneaker designer rock stars, this guy would be it. Uh, the motherfucking man, the myth, the legend, Big Steve Smith. Yeah, that shit was wild, dude. Talking to him, it was like a surreal experience for me. Yeah, it was. It was cool, man. I loved it. You know what I mean? Like the guy's literally designed like half of my sneaker collection, so it's pretty tight. You know, just having a guy of that caliber, you know what I mean? Interested in, you know, willing to 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 help us out. You know what I mean? And 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 jump on our little humble podcast. You know. And not that only that, dope. but he talked to us for like two hours, bro. Dude, and I think he could have talked longer, but like we kind of felt bad in a sense, you know. Yeah, that was wild. And if you don't yeah. know, if you don't know Steven's work, oh, well, you probably do know his work, but he's done the nine nine seven, uh, the fifteen hundreds. He did the five fifties, all those New Balance, the 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 uh, New Balance that everybody wants, the Amy Leon Door ones that Nacho feels that I that I I didn't wrongfully, cop, I wrongfully didn't cop for him. You want you want to tell the story? So my brother got early access to those five fifties, the the ones that uh you know, just recently dropped or whatever. Um, and uh, this guy hits me up in the DMs talking about, hey, I got early access to this. You want these? Because I'm not trying to buy any sneakers right now. And I was like, hell yeah. And I sent them my shoe size, size 10 and a half, size 11. And then, you know, obviously busy with life and stuff like that. And we didn't talk. And I hit him up three days later, two days later. It wasn't three. It was like two days later. I was like, hey, uh, how can I Venmo, Venmo you for those sneakers? And then he was like, he was like, oh man, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were serious because you never buy anything at retail. So I didn't cop. And I was heated because it's literally like the Fresno State colorway. And even the gold ones is nice too. But no, my brother with the early access. Meanwhile, this week, he pulls out the what? Was it the, the 1400s or the 1300s? 1300s. I bought those yeah. in April, bro. I bought yeah, them in he, April of last year and I barely got them. Yeah, he gets his little he gets his little pairs and then just flaunts on them on the internet like it's fucking nothing. What a <laughs> what a jerk! What a jerk! It's all good though. It hey, but but dude, when is it last? Can you even talk? Can you even remember the last time you copped a sneaker at retail? Years. How like it's been years? You can't even remember what sneaker it was, right? No, nah, hell no. I, I I don't I don't pay retail for anything. You see, so that's uh, why I was like, I don't know. If get I, it? I get yeah. it. I, I, Unless you're like, here's the money, I couldn't take you serious because I was like, this fool's not yeah, serious. Yeah. He's like, my he re- my reputation precedes me. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't really buy retail. You know what I mean? That's just not my thing. I don't buy resale either, so it's rare. I mean, you know what? Matter of fact, I did. You know the Air Max ones, the anniversaries. Yeah, I I, I did cop those for like twenty bucks above retail, but I got plugged by the homie Brian Reyes. So shout out to. To the Panoy homies out there, you know what I mean? <laughs> he came through, you know what yeah, I mean? He's a real plug. And, and, and laced me up, you know what I mean? I just slid him a quick 20 right there, just just uh just you know on the strength. But yeah, that was it. That's been the last uh, pair that I could say I've I've copped, you know, that was even over a hundred dollars, you know. So that was it. And and just to get back on topic, Steven designed that shoe and he actually forgot he designed it until the hype came back for it. So that's how deep this guy's career is. Uh, he's also done stuff at Reebok, like the Instapump Fury, the DMX technology. 
Uh, he worked at Fila, Nike. He, obviously, he's a design director at Yeezy. And uh, yeah, uh, we don't want to waste any more time. And without further ado, let's turn our attention. Oh, just real quick. There is no Wear One, Remake One, Erase One this week just because it's already a two-hour interview. And I mean, we got Steven Smith on. So why wait? You know, why, why put you guys through the pain of having to listen to us critique sneakers when we can just listen to the man who's created some of the best sneakers in the past 20, 30 years. So without further ado, guys, here's our interview with Steven Smith. Man, you have, you've, you've touched almost like every stone in the, the, the world of sneakers. You worked for so many companies and your journey is just massive and your contribution to sneaker culture is very, it's also, it, not only is it massive, it's also very genuine and you, 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 you really stick to your guns and Sometimes I get in trouble for that. You get in trouble, <laughs> and yeah, people love you for that. And I know some sometimes big companies don't don't really understand. Big companies don't love. They don't love. Yeah, they don't. Have, they don't have that kind of. <laughs> they, they can't see that far in the future. We 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 love you for that. Oh, we we love you for that, bro. And we, we're just wondering if you could if you could tell us what it was like um, starting out. Like what you started at New Balance, correct? And yeah, and or maybe even before that, like how, how did you even fall into designing sneakers? You know, it's funny. I um, I always laugh and I call it my Al Bundy moment because uh, I ran high school track and I wore New Balances. And when I was in high school, I was trying to decide whether I was going to go to college. Um, to art school or go to the state police academy to become a, a state Massachusetts state police officer. Wow. And at the time they had a height requirement and I was like half an inch too short to go be a state cop. So that decided for me that I would go to art school because my parents were a little leery. Like we don't know what we're going to do with the kid who draws all day. Mm -hmm. um, and doesn't pay attention in school and stuff. And, um, you know, in the classes I was in, I was in like the advanced placement and uh, high, higher level classes and stuff. But, you know, they're like, oh, what are we going to do with the artist kid? And um, so I went, I went to Mass Art in Boston and uh, studied product design. And it was all, it, it was interesting. I mean, I wanted to be a car designer, but um, my guidance counselors were, were so weak that they didn't even know what product design was and where I should go to school for that versus <laughs> even the two special, you know, at the time there were two specialized schools to go to auto design, CCS in Detroit or Art Center in um, Pasadena. And um I didn't even know about them. My guidance counselor had me signed up to go to Boston University for engineering because I was describing like I want to design things. Oh, that's engineering, and and uh, I said, well, I guess so. So I got into BU's engineering school, and then I looked into it. I'm like, wait a minute, this is like math and stuff, and and gray, you know, like black and white world. I live in gray. I want to, you know, no, no, this is this doesn't have the art. Um, and so my high school art teacher was like, you want to go to, you know, you want industrial design. That's what it's called. I'm like, oh, okay. So uh, she's like, I went to mass art. Why don't you apply to mass art? So I did, I got in. So I went there for, for product design and, you know, you learn general product design. So it was stuff, 
it was cool to design stuff or be trained to design stuff. Um, and I continued to run at that time. I weighed like 136 pounds, which was pretty nuts. Cause I was running between 10 to 15 miles a day. And I would run in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. like two towns away. What I would do is I would run, um, two towns away straight out and straight back so that, you know, if you did loops or continuous loops, you could lay them out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was kind of that stubborn per- persistence that my mother would call the thick mick that, you know, the Irish side of the, the Boston <laughs> Irish um, was just stubborn. So I would go out and then have no choice but to have to come back. Yeah. So you would, f- you know, you would complete the massive insane mileage. And, um, so I ran all through college and your thoughts, I, no, no headphones in. You didn't, did you have music going or back then? No, no, no. like that, right? No, just solved all my design problems. <laughs> what time did you get home? Thought about <laughs> if you started at for midnight. two and a half hours, what's that? What time did you get home? If you started at midnight, about three I, I get home at like two, two thirty. Oh, okay. <laughs> In, in the morning and then I'd sleep and then get up at six to go to, to college. What were you, what were you drawing? Like before um, your, your guidance counselor guided you to, to be you, like what were you, what kind of things? You know, were you I, I did, I did a lot of fine art and painting. Okay. Uh, figure drawing. I wasn't very good at drawing people. I don't know why faces. Like I could never draw faces really yeah. well. I won't be a portrait artist. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I get, I like drawing stuff. Like I did, yeah, I got it on my. Well, I took it. I took it down. I used to have a, a a drawing I did in freshman year in college. I did the Batmobile, you know, the original Barris Batmobile, and you know, I like to draw vehicles, uh-huh. um, spaceships. You know, Star Wars was kind of booming then. The original Star Wars. So I would, my my brother and his best friend were big sci-fi geeks. So they made me watch every freaking futurist and sci-fi movie there was. Mm-hmm. And so I was drawing spaceships to entertain them and like, draw another one. Oh yeah, that's cool. You know, draw this, fire the laser and I'll draw battlefields and stuff and very futuristic. And um, that's the kind of stuff I would, I would draw. Um, I would do album cover artwork for all of my friends for their book covers in in high school mm-hmm. <laughs> so i always had the most elaborate book covers on, on my stuff uh, and so it was, it was just a variety of things and but it was always stuff as opposed to like people right you know traditional fine artist of portraiture and still life right. you know it was objects and um so I got my degree in product design and graduated. And then my mother was like, um, you thinking about getting a job anytime soon? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm trying to decide where, you know? Um, and a lot of my friends from school went off and went to work at, at the early high tech companies there, Wang, Digital, Data General, and then there was Corning Medical. And those were kind of the main employers other than uh, um, design firms, you know, mm-hmm. where you did a variety of stuff. And I, I worked at a, at a design firm between junior and senior year in the summer for an internship, and I hated it. And I was like, well, I know I never want to work for a design firm. 
Um, cause you're always struggling to where the next job's coming from to keep your income coming. And that, you know, I, I, I wasn't enthusiastic about that. I wanted to design. I didn't want to like go whoring around trying to get any job you could. And these guys were an eye opener for me because they hired me to do product design and we spent the entire summer doing, uh, architectural drawings because they, you know, and, and I minored in, I, I minored in interior design and architecture and I spent the whole summer designing, uh, radio station offices for this radio station in Lowell called WLLH. And, uh, it was an AM FM, uh, radio station. So they needed two studios. They needed AM and FM studio. And they kept finding, you know, there was a bit, a bit of a revitalization of Lowell, which was an old mill, you know, it's a very famous mill city in Massachusetts, but there are a lot of empty mills. So they, these guys kept changing their minds. So I'd go, go, and you have to go do site measurements and lay out the office. You know, the president sits here, he has his own door so he can get out and buy everybody else. So they don't see him coming and going in his own conference room. So, you know, you learned hierarchical and pecking order within an office environment and, but they kept switching buildings or like, Oh, we found this other site. So I'd have to go there and start all over again. So uh, by the time I was done, I had done three or four different office environments for this, this radio station. And I was like, we, we ever going to do any like product design. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Oh yeah, you know, here. And they handed me a, like a, a Rolodex, you know, you guys, everybody's probably too long too young to know what a Rolodex was. It's a card file of yeah, all these different Rolodex companies in there. <laughs> And it was all handwritten, you know, all these different businesses that were around that around them. So we would I, I I spent in between doing the architectural stuff. I sent out mailers to all these people to like solicit like, hey, we do product design. Hire us. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I'm like, well, when did I when do I design something, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so finally, there was one project that came in <laughs> and it was these guys did this big color proofer which i I don't even know they they must use them i guess i don't know with digital printing i bet you don't even need them anymore but the thing was like the size of a room and it did all pre-production printing for magazines and and uh circulars and things and and books uh before it was actually went into full-scale printing so it was like prototype printing press thing and uh these guys designed this big thing with this company called coulter and they designed it and built it in in New England, but then they sold them, you know, they didn't sell a lot because like a lot of this stuff, it was very specialized, but they sold them all over the world. So this one goes down to Australia and the sun's in a different location, a different time of year. They put this machine there and there were two doors underneath where you could get in and access stuff. Mm -hmm. And they left this little tiny gap line and, at a certain time of day, like at 4.15 p.m., the sun would come in through a window and spoil all the prints. Oh, shit. Yeah. So uh, I spent like a couple weeks just doing schematics and ideas and industrial design on a baffle to stop that light coming mm-hmm. in. And like, you know, I, I had high hopes of designing yeah, yeah. stuff, not just like some back fix on something, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's where I got tainted on the idea of a consultancy. I'm like, yeah, not for me. (laughs) Yeah, this isn't for me. And so uh, 
at the time, MassArt's program is very small. So there were six of us in the industrial design program the year, graduating seniors. And the year before, there was only one graduating senior. And he lived up in Lawrence. And so he, like anyone else, would be, oh, you know, there's, let's see what companies are here. I'll apply to all these companies in Lawrence. And New Balance had like one of their first design positions. It was actually the second full-time design position uh, in like the history of the company. And so he applied and he interviewed and um, they're like, well, we'll get back to you. And they got back to him. And then what they ended up doing was having a hiring freeze and a year went by and he started his own consultancy doing like graphics and things. And, uh, but a year later they call him back like, Hey, good news. We lifted our hiring freeze. You know, you want to come back and interview? So I kind of started my own firm. It's been a year, you know? And, um, so he's like, but I know this guy, he, he just graduated. He was a year behind me. I think it'd be great. He loves running. He always wore new balances. And, um, so they called me and I went up there for an interview and then uh, it was really, it was really cool because it was in this ratty old mill. Everybody was in jeans and t-shirts. I'm like, sweet, I like this. No suits, no ties, none of that crap. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, this is really cool. And and they're like, well, you know, can can you, you know, you know um, we can see you can you can draw and do designs in that, but can you do blueprint drawings? And I'm like, can I do blueprint drawings? I spent my entire summer doing architectural drawings for building interiors for a radio station. So, you know, I always say as mundane, as mind-numbing and unfruitful as I thought that was, yeah, that's what secured my position at New Balance. Because I laid out yeah. all these blueprint drawings like, holy crap, you can. And um, like, this is amazing. I'm like, okay, cool. And they're like, oh, it's 1130. We all got to go running. Sorry, interview's over. And I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah, the entire department goes running. I'm like, where do I sign? And they're like, oh, we'll, we'll get back to you, you know? So I went home and my parents like, how'd it go? I said, I think it went okay. They're like, do you have a job? I said, not yet. And so then they called me the next day and offered me the job. And, uh, you know, it was a long way of a long way from home. It was um, like 72 miles one way. So I drove, you know, like 150 miles round trip every day to go up there. Yeah. 150 Uh, miles to, 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 to work. That's insane, man. (laughs) Yeah. 21 years old, but it was cool. You know, it was fun. It was a job. You know, my parents were happy, like, whew, we got the kid with the art degree with a job. Thank God. You know, I'm sure it was um, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sure it was pretty cool in the 80s, you know, like, you know, working in a place that lets you wear jeans and T-shirts, you know, for work. Yeah, because it was Wall Street era. Everybody wore suits and ties and, you know, Reagan era with Wall Street. And and, uh, that's what was so cool. Like, this is great. I wear sneakers all day because there was no there wasn't even like business casual Friday yet. Um, How much how much like creative freedom did you have at New Balance? I know you worked on shoes like the the 1500 later on and you worked on the 997. And well, it was really, it was really different times then, you know, we didn't have like now things are so like formulaic and calendar based with seasons, you know, Oh, we got to do this seasonal drop. We got to do mm-hmm. that, you know, first quarter Q4, Q2, uh, Easter drop. And there was none of that. It's like we were making the nine, nine, five, it needed some perf changes. That's one of the first things I did. I added some perfs to the nine, nine, five, which I was stoked because I'm like, you know, I ran a nine nineties 
And I got there and I'm like, whoa, this is real. I wasn't even thinking about this. I get to design the next version of the shoe I love. Mm -hmm. This is just, it was mind blowing to this kid, you know? And um, so the first one was very conservative. The, so in, in for, you know, just doing a little purse on the 995 and then next up was the 996. So we were like working on that. So I got to push the envelope a little bit on that. And I was, I was working with um, what they would have called their product developer, but they were almost like a line builder. It wasn't like it is today where there was all this stratification of, of people, you know, you go to Nike and there's somebody who does everything. Whereas at New Balance, it was a very small team, you know, myself and Kevin Brown were the entire design department, two guys. Mm -hmm. And, um, excuse me, since I ran, they let me do all the running shoes and Brownie, they, he did all the court and basketball shoes. And I ended up doing some basketball shoes too, to help him out. Cause they, they were trying to revitalize the entire line. Uh, but Brownie did like the worthy express, uh, did some, he did some pretty, some pretty big hits in the court side of things. I think some people would be surprised to, to learn which basketball shoes it, it, it was you did right, David. Yeah, didn't you? Uh, I don't know if you actually designed it all yourself, but the the five fifty, which is like all. Yeah, I did the five fifty. That one was almost one hundred percent me. I did the four twenty eight, uh, and then what was the, it? Was like a high top. I don't. I can't think. It was like the four twenty nine or the four twenty eight. The four the four twenty eight was the low. I worked on on and off on what became like the 1500 basketball shoe brownie brownie primarily did that one you know i would i would help out um we would always do that you know like hey uh can you can you sketch up some bottom stuff oh yeah sure you know so we'd pass it around between the two of us and um it was it was it was very fluid again like i said there weren't seasons or dates it's like Oh wow, we found a new way to mold midsoles. We don't have to do cut and buff anymore because that was the state. You know, people today take it for granted the technologies, um, all the things we could do. We couldn't mold an EVA midsole. It was all cut and buff, and you stacked it up and buffed it on a cutter. Mm -hmm. That's how you made your mid midsole sidewalls and stuff. And and uh, it was a big deal to figure out how to mold that stuff and put details inside and paints and multi densities. It all. So it was kind of cool to, to, to be in the industry as it evolved and leapfrog. So at New Balance, they're like, oh, we can mold EVA now. Let's make a new 900 series. Like, oh, okay. Uh, there's some new materials that are better. So why don't we make, you know, we'll do the upper too. And so each one became like a leapfrog over the other. So, but but it, it like, it was uh, by multiple factors as opposed to just incremental change. Even though if you look at them, you know, from the 990 to the 995 to the 996, they're fairly incremental. But um, I, I kind of stirred up some shit with the 996 because the gray was a much more silver gray. It wasn't as brown gray as the, mm -hmm. the earlier 900. So that was that was controversial. <laughs> like, oh, my God, this that's a different gray. I don't know. You know? <laughs> And so that, that one was kind of mind blowing to me. I'm like, seriously, but it looks so much lighter and faster now in the silver gray, you know, it's, it's more athletic and like, yeah, but is it really a 900 series now? Look at the color. And you're like, Oh God, it looks better. Just that doesn't matter. It looks better. And um, so it was, it was, it was very different. Uh, 
and, and like the 550, I had forgotten, you know, I had forgotten I designed that one. <laughs> I got photos of it, you know, because, well, this is what people don't understand, too. Like now with digital, um, there's, there's a record of everything right. as, and a trail. Mm-hmm. Uh, in those days, you you did a drawing and you did a color drawing and you handed that over to the pattern guy. And then the pattern guy kind of like used that to make the patterns. Sometimes they cut it up or you sent it to Asia and the development person took it to Asia with them and left it at the factories. So a lot of the history of a lot of the sketches and drawings is gone. And, um, and then I, I I was also raised in a very strict Catholic family where um, huge guilt for taking anything and, you know, I had a few sketches. I had the B, the B versions of all the shoes. And my mother was like, you really shouldn't be taking that. You know, that belongs to the company. Said, but mom, I need a portfolio. You know, if I go to another company, I got to show what I, what I done. Yeah. I don't know. You shouldn't take that. And so I kind of like had all this guilt on me to take any. How many sketches. Hail Marys did you have to save for design? Oh my God. Like three rosaries. So, um, yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot of guilt about that, so I don't have a lot of it. And then a lot again, a lot of it was lost uh, to the factories, you know, because it'd go to Asia and never come back. And you didn't have color copies, so you couldn't make a copy. You know, like, oh, I'll send a copy, or I'll keep a copy and send the original. Like, there, there's no, it's gone. Uh, and I have some of my New Balance stuff in like black and white copies that I had made because that's all we had was a black and white copier. Yeah. I mean, you, you talk about, you talk about like, just kind of like you totally forgot that you designed the 550 and then kind of seeing it have this big resurgence now with the I'm Leon door, um, collab that they're doing. Yeah. And, uh, is that, is that kind of how, were you, were you just like, oh yeah, I, I designed that shoe. Oh shit. I forgot oh, that one. That. Yeah. I've got, <laughs> I've got, the, I did design that one. I've got the photos of it. <laughs> and so that's crazy, man. <laughs> out it came and I was like, wow, yeah, I, I designed that one. Sure. <laughs> you know, and it's not like, it's not like you're just laying false claim on it. Like it's it, it was 36 years ago. It's easy to forget, wow. <laughs> you know, and you were just turning out designs. And, um, and that one, I, I'm trying to remember if that one came out just as I left, uh, like to actual retail. Um, and another reason why I wouldn't have, kept the sketches you know because right. it was coming out so i couldn't take it any drawings because it wasn't out yet so it's still confidential um well and yeah, but, new balance go right ahead, go right go ahead today is like we're happy that you took what you took because it's the only records we have of our history from that period which is cool you know because like i said I, I have this one sheet and i posted it to my instagram of all the gray thumbnails a uh, one page of new balances and i just did a i think it's like maybe 12 or 15 sketches and those that one page has the 997 in it it has the 1500 it has the 574 Damn. like all of those lines came from this one sheet um and we you know we we took a toe from this one and put it into that and out came the other shoe. But it, it's like that, that one page 
is like a microcosm of all of the hits that I did when I was there. So it's kind of like of all the ones I took, it was that one, you know, and New Balance was so stoked to see that it existed. They're like, whoa, can we make a copy of this? I'm like, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Steve, Steve Smith's greatest hits. It was, it was like all on one sheet. I mean, it's, it's crazy when I, when I looked at it, I'm like, wow, this, this, they were all here. You know, volume one, and, uh, greatest hits, volume one, bro. Yeah, oh it was pretty funny. And they were, you know, they were compared to some of the drawings that I do these days. It was very crude and, you know, it was fast and just ideation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, out of it came all, all of those hits. And, you know, I always say I never sat down and said, I'm just going to create all of this iconic product. It was like I was doing my job and. I used what resources I had and built the best thing that I could and designed the best thing I could with the people that I worked with and out of it, you know, what we, you know, and again, I always say that it's like, it's not an egotistical thing. It's very humble, but um, time has proven that what, what we did was right because here they are with a life of their own 36 years later. I mean, it's kind of, crazy if you told yeah. me like some artists die some designers die and and then their work yeah. is realized like yours might yours might be realized 30 years later but <laughs> at least yeah you know and, and i was just 21 22 year old punk rock kid so i was like uh, the last thing i was thinking about was you know next week never mind 30 years from now if mm-hmm. this stuff was still going to be selling you know just like i always tell people they're like my children and they've they've grown up and made well of themselves um so it's it's cool to see you know and th- another thing i wanted to ask you about is after new balance you actually worked at adidas U- uh, usa right for for a little bit yeah you know at that at that time adidas usa was a hot mess uh-huh. they really didn't they had they didn't have any designers per se um they hired a guy ray tom kell who came from kangaroos but before that he was at um nike exeter and so he ended up being the design manager and then he hired myself as the senior designer and he hired another guy, Charles Johnson, who later ended up at, at Puma. Um, and the, the, that was the Adidas U.S. design team. And, you know, it was a nonstop battle with Germany for power over who got the final say on the designs. We would design it, would go over to Asia, would kick off all the products. The samples would come back and we're, they were unrecognizable because somebody from Germany went over, they waited mm-hmm. till the day we left and then they showed up and started, you know, meddling and fiddling. And we're like, what is this? Like, oh, um, you guys don't know how to make technically correct products. So we, they're like, it's the same design. I'm like, no, it's not. It's completely different. Yeah, but it's technically correct now. And that was their crutch to just mess with everything that we did. And, and, and we were like, you know, you told us you wanted to fix the U S yet here you are overruling our views on what's appropriate for this marketplace. And they, they couldn't let go. And the one, I mean, I did all kinds of crazy stuff there. I mean, I did, I did Edberg tennis, uh, torsion tennis. I did, I don't know how, but they let me do all the soccer stuff, which is crazy because you would think that would be very German and Eurocentric. Yeah, but they, for some reason, they let me do all the, the Beckenbauer series. And those have become like classics in their line. And then um, 
they let me do the basket shoe because America is where the basket shoe <laughs> takes place. <laughs> and uh, so I, I ended up doing all the basketball shoes. And there I did like the Phantom Two, the artillery, you know, again, two shoes that just won't die. Um, they ended up becoming these icons again. Yeah, you know, I was only there for a year, like a year to the day, like September to September. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was getting really crazy. And then they decided to lay off half the office one Friday, you know, everything, apparel, everybody. And then the next Friday, they came back and laid off half of the half that was left. So you're down to like a quarter of the people left of Adidas America two weeks later. And um, they were like, yeah, you can decide right now. We're going to shut down Adidas USA and uh, you can go to Germany or you can ride it out here till we close the doors. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm like, well, I don't like either one of those options. Um, And at the time, one of the guys I worked with at New Balance, this guy, Steve Burris, who actually was the developer of the LDV back in the Exeter days, um, we worked together at New Balance on the 1500 and the 997. And he ended up leaving New Balance and going to Reebok. And he was going to start this new innovation team um, called Reebok Advanced Concepts. Right. And he was like, I'm trying to put together this new team. I got, I got permission and budget from Paul Fireman. Uh, and there'll be like a, a lead design for that. You're, you're the, he goes, you're, you're one of the most interesting thinkers I've ever met. You should come up here. And at the time, you know, Reebok was all women's fitness. And I'm like, well, I don't know. What is this thing? You know? <laughs> and, and so when things were getting really stupid at Adidas, I was like, uh, I'm coming home to see my parents. So why don't I swing up there? And he's like, yeah, great. Come on up. So I interviewed and they're like, oh yeah, you know, interesting. And they, they threw out an offer and I'm like, you know, I got to do it. I got to go home. You know, I, I could live at home. I'm making more money. And uh, it was this new company that was coming together that became like the modern Reebok as we know it, like right after fitness launched and um, Lich was scrambling, trying to get the pump done into market. Mm-hmm. And, and so they had had another team before called ATG for advanced technology group. And those guys made bits and pieces, right? So they, they made the, the pump ladder mm-hmm. uh, and Lich was part of that, but he had a biomechanics background. That's right. And so they kind of formulated this, you know, we always called ourselves the land of misfit toys because we didn't kind of fit into any other business. So they had um, Lich and, and another guy, Peter Foley, they were bio biomechanical background for their education and lich was like physio science and they had them both doing marketing and like we don't know shit about marketing and like but the company was growing so explosively like uh hey litchfield why don't you do marketing and he's like i don't know anything about it but sure whatever you know you need somebody to do this and this and you were in multiple hats and so as they started to flesh out the company Burris was like, you know, let's take these two that were in this ATG team and then we'll bring them in on the development engineering side and we'll bring Steven in as the design side. And like I said, we, we call ourselves the land of misfit toys because uh, all of a sudden they, they threw these three people together 
that we're 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 all kind of eccentric mm-hmm. and uh lit i don't know if you ever met lich but he's yeah. all wound up and, yeah and, uh, foley's kind of laid back but could could be volatile because i like to push his buttons um and kind of fairly quiet until i i got him going and then i was pretty quiet but i was this wacko designer you know and so they put the three of us together as like a think tank you know fireman was like i want you guys to just go off and dream mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was an amazing time so we came up with all of these crazy things that became Reebok's technologies for like the next 25 years that's right um DM- and i uh, what's that the dmx technology the the instant fury yeah, there's a good story on DMX. It's very funny. So we were working on Fury, we were working on Pump, and and they needed somebody to do Pump pl- proliferation because you know Pump One was 180 dollars at retail, and so the the marketplace sucked it up because it was the first. But then there was price resistance, so we came in with like the tongue pump and three quarter pump to bring it down in price tiering, and that's because we had real marketing people at that point. Mm-hmm. Who are like, yeah, well, let's do a 110. We won't drop anything below 100. We'll do like 110, 120, and we'll do 140. And then we'll still have pump one at like 170, 180. We're like, okay, whatever. And, and so we had to go and create those those um, those systems for value price point. And so we traveled all over the world. It was cool. We had a carte blanche to just go innovate. Um, but in, in the end, you know, it all it all had to come back to the business and bottom line. And so along the way, we had worked on the first uh, graphite road and graphite pump with the first potato chip carbon fiber arch. But when I first drew it, I drew it all the way across like the Fury. Mm-hmm. And uh, our mentor was this guy, Steve Liggett, who had come from Nike Exeter. But Liggett was the guy who built the first uh, freestyle women's fitness shoe with the soft le- glove leather. Mm-hmm. And so he made like $12 million in stock because firemen didn't have any money to pay him. So he paid him in batches of worthless Reebok stock. And then Reebok took off and he was like, whoa, I went from like $12,000 a year to $12 million in my bank. And he's like, I'm out of here at like 35 or 37 or whatever he was. <laughs> and uh, they're like, but you're so, uh, don't, don't leave us. And so firemen like a year later talked him into coming back and he, he kind of became our, our guardian and mentor within the company. So he was our, um, direct conduit to firemen. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wonder if you could, I mean, a lot of people, I think Paul fireman's kind of like a mysterious, like biz businessman figure in the sneaker world, but it seems like he gave you guys a lot of freedom and, um, he really created kind of an environment for you guys to be able to, to produce this kind of like cutting edge technology. And so shout out to him. He was a lot of fun because he was a brilliant stream of consciousness thinker. You know, you when when you were there, you know, night, you, 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 we passed Nike at one point as number one, but there were two philosophical differences between the two. Like Fireman was like, make money. Knight was win because of his track and sports background. And you know, the, the, the methodologies were pretty similar, but the end game was make money or win. And Knight was like, if I win, I make money. And Fireman was like, make money. Mm -hmm. And 
So Fireman's interesting because his family had a, a outdoor and camping business that he inherited and then completely drove it into bankruptcy yes. and then saw these running shoes from this British company and started trying to sell them out of the back of his car. You know, it's like the classic early sneaker days business. And um, he, you know, he, he sold a few. And so he had an office in like a mobile home and that kind of became Reebok North America. And um, so he, but he was a very amazing stream of consciousness thinker. And he had a great connection to the, you know, he would, he would have been amazing in today's market because he had a great connection to the consumer, mm -hmm. not purely the athlete like Nike and Knight, but it was the consumer. So like everybody, and he had a great ability to put himself in the mindset of the person who would buy this stuff. And, uh, he, he would, uh, you know, he'd throw things at you like, well, why would I buy that? You know, and you'd have to, so it made you think and he'd be like, you know what? So for like Instapump, when that came about, he's like, I had, you know, he, he, he loved us. Uh, Cause you know, we got pump going and pump was like a phenomenal leap for, for Reebok. And they also had the, um, Energair, which was the walking shoe with it had two bubbles built into the sole. So one of the things you know that we did was try to take those technologies and, and make them better or push them into something. And and Energair was licensed. And also, if you wore out the outsole, you pop you pop the function of the thing. So we were looking for a better way to do that, and also something that we could own proprietarily. And out of that came DMX walking, but I'll get to that one in a minute. So like for fireman's point of view on things, it would be in a meeting and it'd be like, you guys are my guys. You know, I want you to have your own place because eventually we just kind of, we went and hid in with apparel. Mm -hmm. um, and so nobody even knew where our office was. So we were like a little skunk works, but we, we purposely went and hid with the apparel <laughs> girls because, um, you know, they're fun and they're cuckoo. And we, we were able to hide in there. Nobody knew, nobody would come to see apparel and see where, where are those guys? I don't know. They're somewhere down on the second floor, you know, cause the rest of footwear was up on third. And um, so it was good cause we could hide out. And then eventually firemen's like, guys, all the stuff you're doing is so amazing, but it should be secret. You know, I'll get you your own space and your own building. We're like, dude, he's going to get the misfits, their own building. This is great. Like, uh, Sure. And so Liggett went there, got us the budget. We built our own innovation center and everything from scratch. And so it was pretty cool. And then, and then of course, everybody's envious. Like, why do those guys have their own building? And Fireman told everybody, like, look, I want key card access. These guys are the only ones who are allowed in there. And enemy number one who should never be allowed to have key card access is myself. Because I'd be tempted to come in and take the ideas away too soon, you know. He knew that we had to have that time to develop things properly and, and resolve them to bring them to market. And, you know, so in, in one of those classic fireman meetings, we're, we're talking about, you know, we're showing like the carbon fiber, we're showing the pump, we're showing the, the early DMX parts. And fireman's like, guys, guys, I got this vision. And we're like, yeah. He goes, dude's at the Olympic. He's in the blocks getting ready to do the 50-yard dash. And we're like, Psst. 
there's no 50 yard dash at the Olympics. And everybody's like, don't stop him. He's on a roll. <laughs> and he's like, so the guy's at the start of the 50 yard dash. He's in the blocks, the sprinter. And they're about ready to fire the starting gun. He goes, well, hold up, hold up. And he pulls out this thing and goes psh, psh, and inflates his spikes. And then he gets back in the blocks and bam, wins the gold medal when the gun goes off. We're like, oh, that's really cool. And he's like, now go do it. And we're like, what? And he goes, go make it happen. I just told you what you need to do. And so it was always amazing ideas like that. You know, he he would throw this stuff at you at these challenges and we'd go do it. We'd figure out how to do it. And out of that came the Instaflate. Um, all the track and field spikes that use the, the Instapump, Instapump bladders. Uh, Peter Foley and I went and did this insane carbon fiber spike plate that was all cast with these um, space age resins to be the, the cleats and ceramic spikes. I mean, just aerospace level stuff. And so it was kind of cool. It gave us an advantage because we had that carte blanche to just go and get out of the footwear business. Well, Steven, would you say that that was your first time like being able to marriage your industrial design? Absolutely, because it was problem solving. Yeah. You know, and we we could dream. And so we 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 that's the way I look at it too is like the Fury for example, it wasn't just a sneaker, it was a it was a a, a machine mm-hmm. for sport. Uh, and, it, and that's part of why it, it looks like nothing else. Um, we, we went to the aerospace industry to find the carbon fiber. These guys were building stealth fighters and they made the arch piece for us. Those guys also made helicopter blades for Sikorsky. Uh, and it was this honeycomb material that made out of Nomex fireproof paper that then they sandwiched between um, carbon fiber or fiberglass to make a helicopter blade. And we saw that material, like what if you turned it this way and made it out of a resilient material instead of fireproof paper? And that became hexalite as we know it. Um, the pump bladders themselves with the fabric flame laminated to it, that came from uh, emergency life vests from airplanes, you know, that are under your seat. Uh, all, and because it needed to hold high pressure. And so the original pumps with the, the thumb pump, like in pump one, we didn't know what kind of pressure those things could withstand. So once we added the fabric, it con- it constrained the pump bladder and then it gave it the form, but it also allowed you, you know, when I, when I saw pump and this, this was kind of the, the, the birthing of, of part of this team, we, we showed it to Paul Fireman, like these are the things we could do if we had our own space and, and team. And when I got there, Lich was showing me how pump one was going to go together where they built a shoe and then you slip the pump up inside of it. Right. And then you kind of tack stitched it in there and then it became the pump. And I was like, well, why are we, why are we building a shoe and then putting this thing in it? Why don't we make it the shoe somehow? So I cut all these windows away Mm -hmm. and you could see the pump through it. Everybody's like, Whoa, that'd be so awesome. If you could see this thing, you know? And, um, so that kind of became the origin. We showed Paul Fireman, you know, if we had the team and the resources, we could make this visible pump. And he's like, whoa, you know, that's the next thing, the next greatest thing. We're always about the next greatest thing. And um, and so that initial exercise gave us the license to go build this amazing team and do these things. And 
And from that, with the Instaflate gun, all of a sudden we got these high pressures. And so it was combining that idea of putting, combining a fabric with the film that restrained the, um, the inflation. So if you had just the films and you kept pumping it up with the Instaflate gun, the thing would blow up like a balloon. Mm-hmm. But putting those um, circular knit fabrics in there, it would expand like 15%. And then the fabric would, you know, like when you put on your socks, your socks can only stretch so far before you either rip them or they they fit. Um, and so that's circular knitting, similar to how that fabric was made. So it would inflate and then the fibers would reach maximum expansion in the in the knit and stop. And so the... People don't realize it, but the the fury, the outer fabric was different than the inner fabric. The inner fabric allowed it to expand by 15%, but the outer fabric only allowed it to expand by 10%. So it would inflate both to 10%. The outside would stop, and then the inside would inflate another 5% to take the place of all the foams and junk that we normally put in, in the shoe. So that's truly part of what made it so customized and what that allowed us to do, you know, because people are like, oh, my God, the shoe's going to cost $200 with all this stuff in it. We got price resistance. And by engineering it just so, we were able to take all of the extra stuff because there were like 150 different things in one pair of shoes to make a pair of shoes. And we took it all out. And we kind of synthesized it down to like 25 pieces. And so now you've got 25 high quality pieces that you could afford because you took this other 75 pieces that you're not putting in it anymore and you could reinvest that part of the price into the higher quality 25 materials um so that's how we were able to afford all the the aerospace materials in this thing and then it simplified it so much you know and again the industrial design side of it is a very Bauhaus thinking of just what you need, very minimalist design. When you look at the the original Fury, um, you can't take a piece. There's there's no part you can take off of it and the shoe will still work. Like there's a lot of shoes where you could take off an overlay or the tip and, and you know, you could, the the shoe would still function, Mm -hmm. but everything on that shoe served a purpose. And if you took it out, it wouldn't work. You know, there were the two straps across the, the top of your foot. You took one of them out, it wouldn't fit right. You know, you took the strap across the back, the bladder would bow out. It didn't work. Um, what about the, the the wild colorway? On, on Yeah. On, and, you know, that was, a, that was a big fight with the marketing guys. <laughs> the one marketing guy came from New Balance and uh, he was used to everything being gray. And I got, you know, the old punk rocker and Boston Attitude came out. And I'm like, this thing can't be gray. That's like, dude, you know, you're at Reebok now. You're not at New Balance anymore. You're in the big, you're in the big leagues. You know, you got to step it up and forget all that shit. You know, we're, this is about, I said, you know, we're, we're in a fight for our lives with Nike for number one. Um, yes. We got to up our game. We got to do something that nobody else can do you know and part part of the influence of those colors was um you know never mind the bullocks the sex pistols just totally in your face punk colors uh the secondary influence was the the new balance super comp which looked like fire on your feet that's the one i wanted as a kid but my parents couldn't afford it and 
so I kind of hybridized the, the punk attitude and colors from that album cover together with the fire on your feet so that it looked like your feet were on fire when you ran in the fury. And that's how the little E. Scott drew the little chili pepper mascot guy that became the little fury guy. Cause he, he, he thought the shoe was so wild. He was inspired to create a cartoon character for him. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was the kind of the origin of the colors. And, and this guy was like, I can't sell those colors. Cause at every time in the market, right at that point in time, everything was like white, blue, white, burgundy, white, silver, silver, burgundy, silver, blue. And I was like, you know, you go to the footlocker and it's, it, the wall is, it's one wall of sameness. I said, you want this thing to stand out. It, you know, it looks like nothing else. It should look like nothing else. And you know, even how we color it. And I first drew it in those colors and that's what everybody fell in love with. You know, that's what sucked people into it. So I wasn't going to compromise on it. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is, this, it's, it's, it, you know, and again, it's that Bauhaus product design mentality. It's a holistic design, the colors, the materials, the problem solving. Um, and it, it just, it had to be that. And so I was an asshole about it, you know, <laughs> and I was like, I'm not, we're not changing those colors. You to stick to your guns, and like, Well, we're not. We're not going to take it in our line. I'm like, you got to take it in your line. You know, we've already got a $120 shoe that's just got laces and, you know, but people always want to take the easy route. This shoe was not easy. I mean, it took us two years to perfect it and get it ready for market. Um, and it didn't fit into the rest of the line, but that wasn't the point of it. The point of it is it paved a new path for the line for the next year, you know, put the stake in the ground of this is what we're going to be about. And then everything else followed that as opposed to being this anomaly in the rest of their stupid line, you know, that was boring like everybody else's. And so when you would go to the store, people would be like, what is that? (laughs) You know? And so they were intrigued by it, pick it up. And, you know, you go to the store and the thing's filthy from people picking it up. And that's what you want. You want somebody to go into the store and go, what is that? I got to have it, you know? Yeah. And uh, that shoe became that, but it's very polarizing. It wasn't meant for everybody. Yeah, it's funny uh, because, you know, oh, sorry about that. But it's funny because, you know, even to this day, people, when I wear my Instapump Furies, you know, people look at them and like, what are those? And like, are those, yeah. are those new? And I'm like, no, these, these aren't a new model or anything. This is a retro. And I was like, really? Be like, yeah. <laughs> and people just, cause it's just such a, a wild looking shoe, you know? Shock. I think shock value is important. You know, when, when you're trying to. It, it wasn't purely for shock value. It needed, it was an essential component of the story right. of what it was. So what you guys were trying you know, to do. Have this ability to make this futuristic thing using these very futuristic aerospace materials. Um, it should say that, mm-hmm. you know, it was a package. And uh, so it became known as this thing where like, what it, it, people are like, what is it? You know, it's so wild. And, you know, now it's like street culture shoe, but at the time it was one of the lightest weight running shoes on the market. Cause by putting, cutting that midsole in half and putting the carbon fiber plate in there, we took a third of the midsole weight out, you know, which was revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we were doing that, and this gets back to some of the other technologies and stuff. Um, so we had that, we had the, then we did the Instaflate spikes to go with it. And we we're like their destination sports. 
So we had tennis and, um, and track and field that some of them didn't even have a hand, you know, a thumb pump on them. Cause you would go there, take it out of your kit bag, yeah. put it on, perform the sport, use your Instaflate, take them off when you went, put it back in your kit bag and put on your other shoes and go home. So that was kind of the mindset behind some of those things, but what they ended up being, you know, everything was over a hundred dollars people. So our original group group was called advanced concepts group. So we called it ACG. And then six months after we christened our group that Nike came out with all conditions gear. And so we're like, well, we freaking can't call ourselves ACG anymore. So that's when I did the logo for the, what became the RAC for Reebok advanced concepts. But before that, when we were launching these expensive sh- shoe concepts, people called us the any cost group for ACG. <laughs> yeah, and so we're like, we're like, damn it. We can't be, you know, they're going to pigeonhole us and we're only going to do like these really small number, you know, elitist, uh, high-end shoes. And we don't want to be pigeonholed for that. We want to affect the entire business. Mm-hmm. So when we were working on pump, Lich and I went out to GE plastics and they had this, uh, we were thinking about blow molding things. Like if we blow molded a container, we could add a pump to it and then you could shape it rather than have it be a, you know, a, a bag that you inflate. It could be an object that you could inflate and adjust the pressure. So like taking Nike air, for example, but making it adjustable. Um, and so we went there and they showed us this block, this blow molded block and blow molding is how you make like, you know, when you go buy a, a drill or a power saw and it's it, it, like milk bottles for, you know, like okay. your, your milk bottle that's blow molded. So they hang this molten piece of plastic in there that's shaped like a bag and they inflate it inside of a mold that goes and goes to the outside. They open the mold and it comes out in this shape, you know, like a gas can, mm. for example, like you go to the gas station to get your gas for your lawnmower or something. Um, so that's all blow molding. So it's really cool because if you could take that container and seal it and then adjust it, you know, you could have this thing that held its shape, but you could have it cave in the middle, but then you could adjust the air pressure. So you could have truly adjustable cushioning rather than, you know, your, your one PSI, like your Nike airbag. And so they had this like, test, it was like test plaque. So it was this hollow rectangle of this material called low mod, which was low modulus. And um, they had where you inflate it with the needle comes out this little stem thing, you know, and they would trim it off. And so Lich and I are looking at this thing and it was long, like the size of a midsole, but a rectangle. And Lich put his finger over the end and he pressed on the back and the air flowed to the front. And then he stepped on, you know, stepped on it, stepped on the front. And it flowed to the back. We're like both looking at each other and the light bulb went off. We're like, holy shit, we may have just found like what becomes the replacement for Air, And then it's our own intellectual property. And so we kind of came up with this invention of this hollow midsole that you stepped on the heel, the air flowed to the forefoot and the cushion, the cushioning flowed. So dynamic exchange so that was became dmx and we first 
made this thing like a four foot in heel and then it came with a narrow neck and it was like an hourglass shape mm-hmm. and we were like it it was bottoming out too much. We're like, what are we going to do? It doesn't make sense. You know, it, 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 why is it doing this? You know, we didn't realize we had created a Venturi effect. So like when you step on it and it goes down this bottleneck and then opens back up again, you've actually created faster flow through the thing. So we hired this young engineer kid, Matt Montrose. And uh, he was like, what we got to do is we got to create turbulent flow and slow this thing down, slow the air down just a micro pulse. So when you step on it, it, bounces back, gives you that effect of cushioning, and then it flows into the forefoot and does the same thing in reverse. So I did like three or four different schematics. And then we made a, um, we made kind of this uh, adjustable mold where you could take those inserts out and try the different flow rates. And then we could measure it in, in in the lab and we honed and perfected it. And it was, you know, Matt made a great engineering, uh, suggestion to us and it, and it worked. It, it was just enough of a pulse. And so we found a blow molder in, um, first we were going to go with a, with a company in Ohio. And then we found a guy in Worcester mass that made the giant, if you can see mine back there, but the giant blow molded crayons that used to be able to buy at Toys R Us. Oh, with yeah. The, uh-huh. yeah. The little piggy bank things. <laughs> Yeah, but they had Tootsie Rolls in them and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I remember those. <laughs> and so this this guy, Ralph, and his company was Ralph Co., oddly enough, <laughs> made those giant crayons, and it was blow-molded. So we found this guy, and we're like, you want to make this for us? Oh, yeah, I'll do anything, you know? And so he had this really cool old blow-molding engineer, and we built these things. Okay, so at the time, you know, pump, pump ladders – our cost was anywhere between nine and fifteen dollars, and that—that's for just the pump mechanism, not including the shoe. Mm-hmm. Very high, yeah. And so you know, you double that into what becomes your retail price, and you know, you're adding thirty to fifty dollars of technology into this into already like a hundred dollar shoe. So that's what made it cost prohibitive to do these under sub hundred dollar products. So keep that in mind, you know, nine to to $15 for a pump ladder. We do this thing and do the calculations. We can make the pair of them for a dollar 25. So all of a sudden you've got this technology for a buck 25, a pair to put into a shoe. So we did it in a $65 walking shoe. So they're like, you guys, you know, everything in your over $100 shoes were like, bam, $65 walking shoe. It's got the most comfortable technology you'll ever try in it. Fireman put it on. It was like, whoa, you know, and we're testers said it was like, and it's kind of a great, uh, a great comment that a cup. It's funny that a couple weird contestants made the same comment. It was like stepping on a small dead animal. <laughs> that squishy feel, you know. And if you've ever stepped on a small dead animal, oh you know God. what right. that feels like. But they they wrote it down as a positive, and we knew we were onto something. So we launched this thing, and in the end, we sold 14 million pairs wow. of DMX walking. And uh, people one of my just father's shut- favorite shoes. <laughs> What's that? One of my father's favorite shoes, actually. Oh, oh yeah, and it shut the it it shut people the fuck up. We're like, <laughs> okay, so we got a sixty-five dollar tech, and we got a hundred sixty-five dollar tech. Now, what do you want us to do? You know, 
And so it kind of gave us carte blanche to go off and create things like DMX 6 and 10 that was in the DMX running shoe. Um, ZigTech were early sketches of what we did. Just everything. And, and the, the problem was is we were so prolific that literally we fueled the next 20 years of Reebok. And then people are like, well, we need this, this, and this now. We're like, bam, we got it, we got it, we got it, we got it. And, and so we're like, well, what do we do? You know, we've we filled the pipeline so much. So that, then we started to go off and explore, uh, and and people don't even believe it, but we went off and explored technologies and smart shoes in like 95, 96. We did this self, um, self-modulating pump basketball shoe that had a, a, a computer brain in it and automated valving. It was it was crazy. Um, and we made one pair and the problem we kept having was at that time, nobody made micro air valves. Mm-hmm. And so we went and found this guy up in Maine called Dean Kamen. Do you know who he is? No. So Dean Kamen invented this um, portable kidney dialysis machine. So if you had to go have, you know, kidney dialysis, the machine was, you had to go to a site and it was, an, it was a, the machine was huge as a room. It cycled, you know, it cycled all your blood and cleaned it. And um, this guy, Dean came and invented this micro dialysis machine that fit in a suitcase. So you could, you know, they could, doctors could bring it to your house and, and uh, it's a huge deal. Uh, Medic, you know, medicate you, I guess, is that I don't, I don't know how to describe like cleaning your blood, but that's, that's what it did. And so we're like, well, this thing's going to have valves in it. Let's go see this guy. So he had made at the time, you know, a few million dollars. Mm-hmm. And so he's funny. He had this helicopter and he lived on this island off the coast of Maine. And uh, so we went to visit him and his company was called DECA for Dean Kamen, you know, short DECA. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we talked to him and, and he's like, yeah, I can make you that valve. Like I can make a piezoelectric valve and piezoelectrics were like brand new. Nobody even knew what, you know, it was a super high tech concept. And so he's like, I'll make them for you myself, but I want to meet Paul fireman. That's my condition. Cause to him, like fireman was like that next level of, of multi multi-millionaire. Mm-hmm. And so like he idolized this guy. And we're like, oh, sure, we can introduce you to Paul. That's no problem. So he flew his helicopter from Maine and landed it in the Reebok parking lot to come meet a fireman. You know, he was so geek. And so he met Paul. He was happy. And he made us these micro valves. Um, but the technology was so early at the time that the valves would only last like 30, 35 minutes. I mean, he handmade them on his, on his electronic bench at home. And uh, they would burn out in like 35 minutes. But damn, the thing worked. It was crazy. Like we did all this algorithmic study on if you were running, jumping, or shuffling, cutting side to side. And the computer brain in in the basketball shoe knew. And it rooted the air up into different air bladders underfoot or into the upper. So if you were cutting right, this, this brain knew what you were doing and shot air up into the right-hand side of the shoe to give you support and stop you from rolling over your ankle and things. I mean, it was, it was magic at that That's time. Crazy. So it's like per- perfect DMX, right? 1996, we yeah. built this thing. We got patents on it and everything. And we made one pair and, um, and uh, fireman kept them like as a trophy in his office. And at that time, the price points had come down. So this thing would have been like $250 and, 
96 and people were like, you know, it, it was too, it was just too far ahead of its time. And um, so uh, marketing was getting crazy. They were trying to take control of our group, which is usually the death of anything innovation. Once marketing gets involved, you need to go free create and create, you know, once, once you're contrived and formulaic, you're not really innovative anymore. You're just a service to somebody as opposed to us going off and freeform creating and problem solving, coming up with, with new, you know, you had people whose feet were in the market today and you're making things for five years from now. And they're in the market seeing what's happening now. Mm -hmm. And by the time you react to products that they're telling you they want or they need, that's just a year from now. And we're like five years from now, 10 years from now and the stuff so they kept trying to pull us back into like the here and now. And we're like, no, no, that's not what we're about. So Foley was the first one to quit. And then I quit and then Lich quit and went to Puma. Foley went off to Rollerblade because Fireman had us doing inline skates under the Reebok umbrella as well. And, and in the end, we teamed with Rollerblade uh, to do Rollerblade pumps. And so Foley kind of just used that as a launching pad to go work at Rollerblade. And I left and went to Fila because they, they needed this concept of a team like we had at Reebok and they wanted to start it up. So I went to go do, do that with some ex-Nike guys who are out here. And that's how I got out to Oregon from Boston. Um, and it kind of, it, it, it drove a wedge between us as a group. And we, we were all just like, fuck it. And that was it. And that was the end of the magic of that team. But again, we were so prolific. We created so much stuff that Reebok just mined it and farmed it. And then Lich came back a year later. And, right. yeah. and, and you know, the, the, the three of us, we were never the smartest people in the room. But when you put it together, it was magical, you know. And once that balance was disrupted by this marketing person who came in and all of a sudden you know, she was below or, you know, roughly the same place as us in the organization, but all of a sudden she was marketing. She was going to tell us what to do. And like, you're not fucking telling us what to do. Mm-hmm. And so it created all this tension. And then she tried to play us against each other. And, you know, and we were good friends. It wasn't, it, it just was bad, bad chemistry, bad mojo, bad vibes. So we were all fucked it all up. <laughs> yeah. She totally fucked it up. And so we dispersed and went to other companies. Like I said, Lich came back. Um, I, I went off to Fila. But it was it was a magical time. And so that guy, Dean Kamen, who made us the multi-valves, he went off and, and created the Segway. He, oh, did, <laughs> but did he, that's, did, that's why, did he do it for clout? Like he did the, uh, the valve? Did he do it for clout? It seems like he did it just to meet Paul Fireman or just to kind of get into that circle of... <laughs> No, he genuinely wanted to help us. Okay. He really did. I'm just playing. It was just too early for for that tech. Mm-hmm. And so I was at Fila for two and a half years. And it was another hot mess, almost like Adidas was for that one year. And um, but it moved it it moved me out to Oregon. And then they blew up, blew up the office, except for like five of us who started stayed working at our houses. And so I kept stalling Fila and moving back to New England. And um, I, I just want to check in with you, Steve. Are, are you good on time? Yeah, I can keep going if you guys are all right. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm rambling. No, 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 but it's it's okay. Like, I just wanted to. 
double check we're 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 good here i was wondering if you could tell us about um you actually uh designed uh, a shoe for grant hill that was never released and was actually recently um released <laughs> unbeknownst to you um, I, was, I was wondering if you could talk about that it's pretty funny you know feel it was a shit show there were a bunch of us uh who were some pretty talented designers and there were some okay designers but the guy, Dr. Enrico Frache, who who kind of ran it, um, had like all of us working on a Grant, Grant Hill shoe, but never telling the others. And so, but I was aligned with the innovation team and the, the ex-Nike guys out here. And so we were doing it in the Nike way of going to meet the athlete. We were the only ones who went and talked to Grant Hill. Mm-hmm. And so that shoe that I did was direct working direct with Grant Hill, servicing his needs, getting everything he wanted the shoe to be. Because the previous one, you know, with the with the triangle on it, ended up wrecking his uh, his um, ankle. Well, it was more it was, he had plantar fasciitis, is what oh, it did. Okay. Even worse, yeah. They had the they had the uh, the heel heights too low, and it you know it hyperextended his Achilles, which then left to um, plantar fasciitis because, you know, your plantar fascia goes all the way from just behind your toes all the way up your, uh, up to your Achilles and attaches to it across the back of your heel. So we were like, okay, we're going to do it the Nike way. You know, we're going to, the athlete's going to drive the solution. And so for me, you know, it's again, that Bauhaus mentality of form following function and working directly with the athlete's needs and, um, so there were like five Grant Hill shoes, but we didn't know about it. We thought we were doing the one and Grant Hill thought we were doing the one. And all of a sudden, Frache sees this other one. And that's the one that kind of had the, it's, it's kind of like an embroidered snail on the side. Mm-hmm. That's the best way I can describe it. <laughs> oh, I know what you're talking about. And it's super talented. Steve, Steve McDonald, who's a really good friend, super talented guy, did that one. Um but, you know, the downside of it was all of a sudden Grant Hill gets handed this thing and like, here's your Grant Hill shoe. And he's like, I had nothing to do with this. You know, I don't I don't know. I don't know what this is. They're like, that's the new Grant Hill. <laughs> and we're like, well, what about the one that I actually had all the input into and yeah. was going to solve all my foot issues? And they're like, no, this is it. And so we got to a playable prototype version of it and it just gone. And it was really, you know, it was it was a shame because it was a really nice shoe. I had done multi-variations of it, one with the pistons with the pinstriping. It was white with the pinstriping, just like the pistons uniforms. I did a black and red one. Um, so we had, had done uh, functional samples of it. Like it literally could have gone to market and they pulled the plug. And so later, um, it was about three years ago, maybe two, two, two or three years ago. I'm on Instagram and somebody pulls that shoe out in Korea and tags me on it. I'm like, cause I had posted my sketch <laughs> that I had done back in 97, 98, 97, I guess it was. And I'm like, I'm like, where did you get that sample? It's not quite right. Cause they had changed a few things for cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, oh, it's at retail in Korea. I'm like, what the, you know, that's my 1997 Grand Hill shoe. <laughs> How the fuck? That's crazy. 
And so they trolled, they trolled my archives. Cause you know, like I would say, I laugh about it. Uh, Cause it's like Zoolander with Hansel so hot right now. You know, Steven was so hot right now. Cause he's working with Kanye West and he's, oh, maybe that's you know, why, Nike, yeah. dredged, Nike dredged out the spectrum uh, to do with Supreme. And it's like, Fila was like, why don't we drag something out that he did? Like, let's do this grand Hill. And it, and it came out and I was like, it's just so freaky to think of something coming out, you know, like 20 years later, you're like, yeah, that's wild. You know, like, this is a grand, it's like, well, it, it, it never came out, but it's from 96, 97. I don't know. It's kind of cool, but still just weird. Did you get a pair? Yeah. The, um, some of my Korean friends sent me a pair of both colorways. So I got them in the basement in boxes. That's super cool, man. But I got the originals. I mean, I got the prototypes, the, the samples that we had made of what it was should be. And, and if you look on my Instagram, I posted a picture of like, you know, this is what it was supposed to be. And then this is where they changed it all out to lower the, the dumbed down version. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. It was kind of the dumbed down version of the counter. What would, would have been the counterfeit one. Um, so <laughs> anyway, it was a surprise to see it. Um, but yeah, it's kind of funny, you know, it, seeing the a lot of those shoes come back it's it's just weird you know i mean i'm just this anomaly where i try to do the best thing at the company i'm at with their dna for their brand and everywhere i've been i've created icons for these brands and i'm kind of anomaly because i think i'm the only one who has continued to create iconic product everywhere he's been for 36 years straight Mm -hmm. You know, and because a lot of people would burn out after like a few years or, you know, they're just they they don't make home runs. They make line drives and things that sell, but not they're not these I, I industry icons, you know, and I just I don't know. I have a gift. That's the only way I can look at it. I'm like, you're the man, Steve. That, well, you know. I don't know. It's kind of funny. Like I said, I'm very humble about it. It's like I, I, I gave up being a car designer. So I decided to be pretty good at this. And so I ended up being pretty good at this and focused on it. And, um, you know, I guess, I guess I was born to do it. I don't know. How does it feel to see some of those sneakers on your feet though? That's really cool. So again, you know, when I go back to like starting to back to, to where, where I started, when I graduated and I went to go work at New Balance, you know, this was a new career. Nobody was doing sneakers per se. There were a handful of us. It was a new career. Uh, it didn't exist. So I, I look at not just the product that, that I've designed, but the product has fed into that idea that this is a really cool career choice. Um, but people like myself, Tinker Hatfield, Bruce Kilgore, you know, Ray Tonkel back in those days, Wilson Smith, we made it cool. We defined what it should be as a job. And so I look back at that and and I'm almost as proud of that because Mm -hmm. like we made it so interesting and fascinating for people as as, as cool as a career choice, you know, because it didn't exist. And the guys in school who I went to school with, they all went off to go work at either consultancies or um, Wang or Digital Data General, they're all gone. Those those were the early high-tech companies in New England. They're all out of business and or Corning Medical. And when those guys would do something at that time, they weren't really PCs. They were lab computers, big, massive things. You know, Digital did the deck writer, which was kind of the first 
daisy wheel printer that perked on the old you guys i don't know if you're old enough to remember like the the cream and green lined computer paper with the cogs on the end and you peeled yeah. it off um and that went through the deck writer just text nothing else and so it's like real computers not like friendly human laptops and things like we have now it was like hardcore data entry computer and there were size of rooms and stuff so these guys designed those things and you know they're laughing at me like oh you're designing sneakers ha 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 and i'm like well you know what when you design one of those computers it goes to maybe like what 30 labs around the world i said when i design a pair of these sneakers i mean it could be anywhere from 10,000 to a million people buy them you know and it was accessible good design and i could go i told them so i could go anywhere in the world and see someone in my product out in the street i didn't have to go into some laboratory or something and go looking for my product i said it's right there i said how can you beat that you know it's it's very democratic and pedestrian product yeah. you know I, I don't mean pedestrian like dumb or simple because no. they're, they're very complex designs but it was accessible and that's what's so cool. So those guys mocked me and then half of them five to 10 years later ended up going to work at like Saucony or Converse. And I'm like, you know, you guys <laughs> mocked me for it, but look who, look who sucked it up and had to come into the industry because yours is gone. It's like your all your, all your work is one big body of work. It's all connected and it's all kind of this one big fuck you, if you will. And um, yeah, yeah. I think that's cool. And, and you you talk about having this long career of like iconic hits at brands and and um, just kind of putting your head down and and kind of just being yourself through your work. Can you talk about like what what other things inform your creative process? Like are you are you like heavy into music? Like where where do you draw inspiration from? I know that you're big in, into problem solving. Um, you know, like from from an engineer's mind. But like, what what informs you the most? Like, what inspires you? I mean, everything. I mean, I always loved music, cars, machines, motorcycles, boats. If it moved, I liked it because it was a machine. And that's why I viewed these things as not just a, a foot covering or dumbed down as a sneaker. Like to, to those guys, you know, I'm like, I'm designing machines for sport. I'm designing machines for comfort. They just happen to be in the form of a shoe mm -hmm. when you're done with it. Um, and it was problem solving, you know, every time I try, I didn't just try to make something different. And I think that's a misconception. A lot of kids have now who want to get into this. It's like, yo, look at my style. It's completely different. I said, yeah, but is it better? You know, anybody can do different, but do it different and better. You know, why should, why should you do something that looks really cool, but feels like shit when you have it on, you know, you didn't probably, you didn't solve any problem. Anybody can do different, but different and better. And if you make it better, inherently, it's going to be different because it's new and better. And you've used new materials. You've, you, you've solved the problem. And I look at it as, as this industry has evolved, new problems come up, new materials come up every day. So you're not, you know, I always tell people, like, when are you going to retire? I said, I'm not done. You know, there's lots to do. It's a continuum. You never you're never done because right. there's a new material out. Why don't I use that? It's lighter weight. It breathes better. Um, it works better. It, it's, it's stronger. Uh, 
you're excited about it. Like, okay, I, Oh, I can make something with that, you know? And, um, I think you might've, I think you might've, might've ended everything with the, uh, with the computerized DMX technology. If that would have happened, that thing was so awesome. Yeah. I don't think we would have had any more technology after that. I think that would have been it. I think you would have quit <laughs> and you would have did something else, Steven. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I've got, I've got, I, I can't remember if I still have it up here, but I have a shoe that kind of that thing spawned from called the black widow. And it was the first Reebok te- technically the first Reebok advanced concepts project. And I took a pump one and we, we wanted to show Paul fireman what we could do. And I took a pump one and I added in a miniaturized electric pump and a split valve and it inflated uh, two different air bladders within one in the midsole inside of a bellows and a carbon fiber spring. And then the other one inflated the upper and it's this little motor and you press it and it had a little nine volt battery and it, goes, and it would inflate the thing. Yeah. And so I made it in my basement because we didn't have our office space or a shop or anything. And so Lich and Peter and I had gotten all the parts and I, I was like, they're like, if we could do this, I said, fuck it, give it to me. I'll take it home and make it in my basement. I got some power tools. So I made this thing and I disguised it. And it was a pump one. I disguised it and I painted it black and I put a, uh, I painted the pump area red where the little motor intake was to suck the air into it. Like, a, you know, like on a Testarossa and, um, I put a red patch on the top of the tongue and, you know, when, again, music. So um, at the time I was listening to a lot of Alice Cooper and there's an Alice Cooper song called the black widow that Vincent price does the voiceover on. And so I painted this thing black with the red highlight. And I'm like, fuck, it's a black widow spider. I'll just call it. The, and I scrawled it on there and this Alice Cooper like typeface that says the black widow. I love that. And, uh, of, and so we showed that to firemen, like, look, if we had this team with a budget and a place, we could make things like this. And he was like, whoa, you know, so I have it. I've always had it at home. Mm-hmm. And so the the head archivist is at, at Reebok is like, I want that shoe. I'm like, well, you can't have it yeah. until I'm dead. I said, my daughter can sell it to you or give it to you or whatever. I said, but I'm not giving it up. And so every time Lich would come out to Oregon, he'd be like, get it out, make it run. And I think mm, I said, it still works 36, you know, whatever it is, 32, 34 years later, it still works. And uh, it was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that one is, that's considered the first Reebok advanced product. I appreciate you sharing that, Stephen. I really do. Um, yeah, maybe one day we can see it. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, post a picture of it or something. We'd love to see it. Have you put it on your IG? A few years ago, I posted just this mysterious video of it running, inflating the midsole on my Instagram. So it's there if you go look. You got to dig for it. I will. That's awesome. But yeah, Reebok Archives really wants that one. <laughs> so just to kind of wrap things up, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention um, Kanye. And ye, and I know I know you can't really get into a lot of the details around that stuff, but I was just wondering if you could just talk about how, how well, first of all, like how it even how it even started, like how did you even start working for somebody like Kanye, and um, and and what that's done for your for your mental for your like creative mind to to have that like person 
who just gives you this freedom and, and thinks that way. Yeah. And I think, you know, Kanye is very misunderstood. Like a lot of people get it twisted about like it, me, like you as well. So <laughs> in a lot of ways, it's like the best thing to have one of the best things to happen for you. Um, Absolutely. I think it's one of the most magical times of my career. And you think about it as an older designer, you're, you're tapering off or you're thinking about retirement and all that. It's like, that's the last thing on my mind. I mean, I, like I said, I'm not done. There's plenty of stuff to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I had, uh, I had gone back to work at Adidas, but I worked in their innovation team and I worked on their wearable sport electronics. So like, you know, it was kind of funny. It comes full circle to that Reebok thing of electronic devices and they monitored your vital stats and it, uh, had a soft sensing garment. So I got to go full circle back into that world of integrating electronics into sport. And it was, it was a new thing at the time we were working on this, my coach team system that we did for FIFA and, and MLS. And, um, they decided to, after we launched it, they decided to pull a political move and, they had a hiring freeze in Germany. And so they pulled my headcount to Germany and made it to two electrical engineers. And I'm like, well, what does that mean for me? And they're like, well, you need to find another job within the company or without. And so I'm like, well, I guess I'll go someplace else. And uh, so I took my package and I ended up going to Keen, which Keen has some US manufacturing. So that really interests me. And the owner wanted me to innovate, but didn't want to spend any money. Mm-hmm. And, and like, you can't do that. You can't upgrade machinery from the eighties to the two thousands for free. And so one day after two and a half years, I just, I walked out. I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. And I went home and I was like, what's how, how was today? I said, well, I quit. And she's like, what? You can't quit. You got a family. I said, I can't do that. I can't. I I can't do that anymore. And she was like, what are you going to do? I said, I, I don't really know. It's kind of scary in some ways, which just give up and go, I, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so I really didn't know what I was going to do. Cause you know, I, I already worked the two of the major brands here in, in Oregon. I didn't want to move. And um, I, it's kind of scary. There's some fear involved, but you got to, sometimes you just got to say, fuck it and take the risk. And, you know, I never compromised myself, which is, you know, anywhere I've been, I never compromised myself. And so I I can sleep at night knowing that I did that. It wasn't about money. It was about me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't mean selfishly me. It was about that. I felt good in what I was doing or felt useful or being being used by a company in a, in a positive way, not being used like manipulated like a tool or a fool. Um, so I walked away from it, and my wife's like, "What are you going to do?" I said, "I don't know." And then two weeks went by, and one night the phone rang, and it was this weird New York number. I normally wouldn't answer out of state calls, and uh, and it was Yay, and he's like. Mr. Smith, I said, yeah. He goes, hi, it's Kanye West. I'm like, um, what's up? Why are you calling me? Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, I want you to come design with me. You know, and I'm like, oh, well, let's talk about it. You know, so we talked for about an hour and a half and it was magic. You know, I really, it, it was just like instant chemistry with him. Talking about design, architecture, uh, fashion, furniture, all of our fa- favorite fine artists. It was, it was just 
amazing. It was like, you know, I described it where it's uh, okay. I was at Keene, I was in a dark place and I really was lost and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life or my career, but I had to do something because I had a family and out of somewhere in the darkness, this hand reached in from the light and pulled me out mm-hmm. and it was Kanye. Yeah. That's the way I can look at it. It's very spiritual, very religious, um, like the hand of God it brought me and, and, and him together in, in a lot of ways. And I, I was like, why'd you, you know, why, why me? I said, not that it's a bad thing, because I don't know what the fuck else I'm going to do right now. And, um, and he's like, you designed all the shoes I wanted as a kid. Why wouldn't I want that guy designing with me? And I'm like, oh, fair enough. Makes sense. And, uh, you know, and he, he likes Steve Jobs and he loves the New Balance stuff. And um, when we first started working, we worked on what would become the, the Wave Runner. Mm-hmm which is this almost, you know, he, he pointed it out that it's like the spiritual successor to my new balances. It's like yep. what I, what, what I had you do was design your new balance today as if you still work there, what would they be like? I said, yeah, you did. You know, now that you mention it after we were done with it and I'm like, you did, you really did. You know, and that's when we reignited the dad shoe in, in the marketplace and changed the entire direction of the industry. Um, and it disrupted, like he and I both are known as disruptors and it disrupted Nike, which I liked because they kind of screwed me over. Um, and, uh, it, it was a magic, it was the beginning of what would be an amazing future together, you know, and, and the way he views it is we're, we're raw creating. I don't have to worry about price points. I don't have to worry about you know, what factory we're going to make it in. It's like, just go create it. Mm -hmm. And it's like what I'm best at, you know, at Nike, the only way up is out. So you, if you want to make more money, you can't design anymore. You have to go into management. That's the only career path. There's no advanced doer. When I first got there, there was an advanced doer role. There was a path. You could take two paths. You go into management, you become advanced doer. And they were parallel in, in pay, respect, and bonuses and everything. And then advanced doer went away and it was only management. But the sad thing is, is like, if you were this incredible creative, you had to sacrifice, you know, and, and I'll use a Nikeism with Prefontaine. You, to do anything less is sacrificing the gift. And what they did is by putting you into management, you sacrifice the gift of super creativity for for wealth and ascension on a ladder mm-hmm. and um it, it it's soul stealing in a lot of ways if you're a pure creative you know because you got all this built up in you and it's you know litchfield always described me as you're i've never met anyone like you you're like explosive design you know we give you a t- you know an idea and then it's just like boom it comes out you know hundreds of sketches and um a company like Nike, where it's very, it's a funnel, it's formulaic, there's, there's steps, you go four sketches, then two, then you got to slowly hone that one to get to the one. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, but there's a hundred other ways we can do it. You know, and that's what was that magic of those early days of creation at, 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 um, 
at Reebok when we had the innovation team, like, look at all these amazing things we could do. Let's do them. And so Fireman empowered us to do that. And right now with, with Kanye, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, oh, you don't like that one? I'll draw this one. 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 And it's, it's magic because it's just raw creation. It's the thing that I was good at that was being snuffed out mm-hmm. by having to take this managerial path to remove you from what you're good at, which was nonsense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's very frustrating. Like, and, and so I spent 60% of my time at Nike going to meetings, uh, having a meeting with the person above me to have a meeting to the person above them, creating PowerPoints. And I'm like, when do I actually get back and create stuff? Because all I'm doing is creating presentations. And it was it was just, you know, that's just not me. And it was, a, you know, to me at the end of the day, it was a waste of my time. And it's a waste of their money and time by having me do this shit that an admin can do. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I got a gift to create shoes that sell millions of pairs. Let me do it. You know, yeah. And so, with Kanye, it's like unchained, unleashed, and you just go. Yeah. And <clears throat> excuse me, the proof is in the performance. You know, I mean, you look at things like the 450; it sold out in under a minute. Yes. Company wouldn't give their left nut for that. You know. Yep. And it's like you look back at those fools who wanted us to take this career path of management, and it's like. And it makes me laugh because in their structure, you were this tired old designer. And it's like, how you like me now with my foot up your ass with Kanye, you know? Fuck yeah. Um, <laughs> love it, and again, man. it goes back to the old the old punk rock attitude. Like, oh, you know, how you like me now? Mm-hmm. You know, hold my beer, watch this. Um, and that's what's so great about it. And, you know, uh, similar personality of no bullshit. We don't tolerate fools. And, uh, and we make magic, you know, he's, he's, he's magical in this industry, like no one else. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you talk about, you know, having that first conversation with him being magical and you look at the line of sneakers that you guys have produced and just a line of, of footwear that Yeezy offers. And it, that's what it is. It's magical. You look at it and it's magical. Yeah. I mean, no other company could do it. Oh. That's the thing. Cause they don't know how, they don't know how to do this. They can't. They're in their box and their rules and their rail. They're going down a rail, you know, and we're in a jet or a spaceship and they're going down a train rail. That's the difference. We're going to new worlds. They're just going to the next station. And it's like you, it's a completely different way of thinking of things. And uh, again, it's, it's total freedom. And some people can't deal with that. They need a formula. They need rules, you know, and we're like, smash them start over like why why is that a rule nobody has an answer it's just the way we've done it like well why do it then get rid of it let's make a new rule or just no rules and you know the rules will happen as we do it but then we can create new ones beyond that and smash that you know and it's it's uh it's very punk rock which is good for me and uh he thinks about things very differently than than a lot of people. So again, I, it's, it's uh, something new and different every day. And for me as a, you know, an older designer, I like that. It's like, I've always been about what's new, what's different. And it's like, 
that's a different way of thinking about it. I wouldn't have done it that way myself, but it's fascinating. Let's do it. You know, and it's, it's always the, um, when you're dealing with the, the normal world or the corporate world, everyone asks, why do that? And we ask, why not? Mm-hmm. You know, what's, what's possible? Why, why isn't it possible? Let's make it, let's make it and find out. Because if you don't even make the effort, you're lazy, you know, you're not thinking hard enough. Uh, anybody can do that. It's, it's, anybody can take the easy route. We take the hard route, you know? Yeah, that, that uh, soul for the 450 is insane. It's a marvel, the way you guys make yeah. it. Yeah. Look, that looks really hard to do. It's very hard to do, yeah. but we did it because, you know, not it wasn't purely because it was hard to do, because it was a new aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And anytime you come up with a, a, a reapplied process or a new aesthetic, it, it, you know, anytime you're the trailblazer, it's like there's risk. Yeah. And as companies get bigger and bigger, there's less risk. Nobody wants to take a risk because you don't want to hurt the business. And when you're a true creative like that, you're rolling the dice and you push the stack of, of chips across the whole stack. You don't take two chips and go... I'm going to put those two chips on black 23 and I'll make 40 bucks and I'll walk away with $140. But if you, I'm like, I'm going to put it all, you know, $5,000 on black number 23, (laughs) boom, it hits. And all of a sudden you got like 5 million bucks and you're like, all right. But if you never put the chips on the table, how, how, how do you even, you've already lost. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to do this, Stephen. Um, really, thank you for being so generous with your time, man. It's been nothing but a pleasure, nothing but an honor, man. This is a this has been really, really awesome. Uh, it was great. I loved it. <laughs> thank you so much, man. Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, you know, and part of this, like I said, goes back to Paul Fireman and that that stream of consciousness. And as you guys hit on these topics, it it takes me down this stream and and memories and the the details and the fulfillment of all of it you know i mean that's one of the things that i was it's it's a gift and a curse i got from my dad is this uh somewhat photographic memory for moments and in, in, in time and so i can remember every last freaking detail of who was in the room what was said what they had on um what happened in the meeting like nobody else can um and you know that's the problem because i want to tell you the whole story so you know no, all of it it's not a problem there's no i think the more somebody you're interviewing is rambling the better so yeah it's, it's the greatest thing it's real it's yeah it's, it's real it's a real conversation yeah so so th- well thank you so much man and um yeah sure appreciate it man Fun. thank you so much thank you thank you thank you thank you again. enjoy the rest of your evening all right thanks a lot i appreciate it see you all steven right. thank you peace all right, guys, wasn't that awesome having Steve Smith on, David? Wasn't that wild? That shit was crazy, dude. I, I was like, I, I was, I don't know. You know how people say I'm shaking? It wasn't like on that level, but dude, that's that was amazing. The fact that he's so chill, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's the thing. Like, you know, I, I always assume that most of these designers are just like, I mean, they're crazy, like just like, you know, cookie cutter type thing or whatever, you know what I mean? But this mm-hmm. dude's like literally like a, a punk rocker it was awesome yeah he like freely answered he had like he had no like default loaded 
Yeah, corporate, he didn't beat around like, the bush. Nah, he, he was didn't just do a, any of that shit. He was like, no, nah, this is what the fuck happened. This is what didn't happen. This is how he was like, put, he was putting up like middle fingers on the screen. I wish you guys could see it. That shit yeah. was funny. Yeah, uh, dude was awesome. It was awesome. We we're happy to have him on, and we're happy that you guys are listening. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, wherever it is you are listening in the world, uh, hope you're having a good morning, afternoon, night, day, whatever it is you're doing on a walk or, or whatever. And if you haven't already. Go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. It really helped the channel out. I'll be happy to read the review out here out loud on the show. So you can get a little clout if you want some clout. <laughs> you know, the little clout that we have. You know what I mean, Nacho? Yeah. Hey, you know what? We got to do give one shout out. You mean? Go ahead. Go ahead. All right, you ready? Shout out to the homie Aaron for hooking us up with the Steve Smith interview. Hey, appreciate you, baby. You're friends and family for life. He came through. He came through big. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. We will catch you guys. Uh, just we'll, we'll have a bonus episode this week, actually, um, just because we missed last week. And uh, and yeah, we're going to have a, a, a second episode coming up here. And just it probably it'll probably up maybe Thursday. We'll do it. So be on the lookout for that. And yeah, guys, thanks so much for listening. Catch you guys on the next one. Peace. Peace.